Welcome to episode one, Cutting Through the Hype, Fitness or Fiction. I'm here with Curtis Howden. We are talking about fitness. Curtis We're- is interviewing me today. This is uh, this is my bus. I'm going to steer it, and I'm going to keep it over fifty. You know, if you're if you're into movies, you might remember Speed, but just like Speed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keanu Reeves hasn't aged a day. No, he's he's more of a badass now than he was then. That's rare. Well, today I get to steer the bus. Uh, the episode title is "The Legend of Eric Berg," a name that I chose, and he's less than happy with. So. Um, Really what we're doing today is being like, okay, I'm getting into a podcast. Who am I talking to? So we get to know the real Eric Berg. Mm-hmm. Who is Eric Berg anyway? And just so you guys know, it's never fun to get grilled <laughs> on who you are and what you're about. I haven't prepared for this because I wanted it to be organic. And for those of you who don't know, Curtis has been my mentor and my coach. So it makes it even worse getting grilled by somebody that uh, you look up to. So it's going to be weird when I have to grill you. It's going to feel... Excellent. You're going to love it. You're going to dig it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> well, I'm going to do, do real mean stuff. I'll be like, no, not your personality traits. I mean, who are yeah. you? <laughs> That's an anger management reference. Yeah. Okay. So, man, the easiest place to start with this, uh, if people are tuning in and, and listening to what we have to say, my biggest thing is, well, who the hell are you to be talking anyway? And I think that you have a really pertinent history to talk about. So, uh, in steering this whole bus, instead of going off a cliff, we're actually going to go to the uh, the entry of the bus we've taken it backwards yeah we're taking it back in time um so the first thing we're going to talk about is okay as a kid what did exercise mean to you what what place did it hold for you let's talk about that Mm. just overall exercise was honestly where i was happiest like when i was in school gym class was number one aside from gym class recess was number two but recess was number two because i was a monkey like on the playground just going nuts on the play on the monkey bars playing games like boys chase girls um there's a friend of mine named Lisette who wants to challenge me to a race now because i've mentioned this on my other podcast um because she thinks she's faster than me and uh we're gonna prove her wrong one of these days but he's coming for you Lisette. watch out yeah she knows um and then obviously i was in martial arts for a long time so i did shotokan martial arts and i really enjoyed that but that's kind of the extent of what it meant to me as a kid it was like exercise was play and i often tell my clients and people nowadays that adults have lost the ability to play so what did play mean to you like you're saying okay it was something that was valuable to me which is awesome uh, but explain the value like how did it make you feel what what place was was play for you how did it it was like for me i was never a very creative person with like drawing or things like that like i didn't have artistic ability but creativity came from me just like creating games if we're at the playground like obstacle courses and things like that um even you know like we've been swimming together and it's like okay let's stop swimming we're gonna dive but we're gonna do a diving competition and if you lose you have to do push-ups and it's like it's playful like creating games it was always just creating games in different ways to make just like playing and moving fun so would you say it's it's accurate to say it's an outlet for you in in some way shape or form yeah i would say so what does it buy you out of what what's an outlet from Mm. digging in deep real deep like as a kid, I don't, I don't, I think it was just an outlet for boredom, I guess. Like, just like playing was, that's what you did because you didn't want to be bored. As I got older, it started being more of an outlet for things like stress and other things like that. Probably once I hit like my 20s, it started becoming a little bit different. It was still play, but like there was also purpose behind it for like my mental health and stability. Yeah, for me, a lot of times when I talk about exercise with people, it, it's really interesting because. 
I find that it, this this concept of outlet, it's really important to have something where you actually do have control of it. You actually have control over how you're feeling, what you're doing, and the rest of the world isn't always that way. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's something that a lot of people need to get back to. It's not a punishment. It's not that. I think that's an important thing. Yeah. Just that, that aspect of play again, right? Like I don't, we obviously have different viewpoints on exercise and fitness, although you influence my viewpoint quite a bit. I think like, you know, when people are like, oh, I need to stretch more. I need to be more flexible. Like for me, like sitting in front of the TV at night or in the morning while I'm eating breakfast in a pancake stretch or 90-90 or like moving around, like it's not just in the lazy boy slouch, like curled up funny, right? Like it's constantly like moving around in these different kind of positions, like if I'm in vacation, I'm the only guy doing like side lunges or Cossack squats while I'm waiting for the reservation, like waiting for the table to open up while everyone else is kind of just buried in like facing their phone kind of thing. Because you're a complete psycho. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the weird one. I'm the weird one doing handstand walks down Costco and people are like, what the hell is that guy doing? That is a little weird to be fair. <laughs> I'm weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to be normal if that's, that's super weird. So anyways... So we have kind of where exercise started for you. Sounds like it was an outlet. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah. Outlet, a place to be creative. That's exciting. So that's where it started at. You said it started to morph. So can you run me through how did exercise change for you as its its place in your life as you got older? Yeah, this is like it starts to dig into more of a personal place. I think everybody has their own personal story. But my personal story was obviously as I was growing up, I remained very like I got really tall fast and I was very skinny started getting bullied a little bit even though i was in martial arts and even though i was like exercising i was very strong it never stopped people from underestimating me and that became kind of a trigger like just the bullies and being underestimated and people being like thinking that i was weak or soft so that made me go harder at the gym and that was like that's when the outlet started to change it was like anger and resentment for being like underestimated and not like valued like because I would look up to, you know, in high school and things like that there's a popularity contest like I wanted to be one of the top picks for sports I was often like two or three because again guys kind of knew that I could play but I wasn't like the top top guy I had to like fight really hard to be able to perform but the outlet started to just come with yeah like my my training started to become more about my insecurities and trying to get bigger trying to look bigger have people stop underestimating me that was kind of where the outlet started to transfer from and I found that outlet transfer later like that was in my 18 and 20s and once I've kind of reached 30, I've kind of gone past that point and realized that that wasn't the the healthiest mindset to have for my training. And it's not why I wanted to be training. I didn't want to be training with anger or like sadness or like frustration in my heart. I wanted to train because I wanted to play. So I had to kind of overcome, overcome those emotions and thoughts like over the past 10 years. Yeah, well, it sounds like it originally started out as something like to prove who you were to other people and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of morphed into something you're doing for you now. Yeah. I, I think that's healthy. That's good. It just <laughs> took 10 years to get there. Everyone's journey is different. <laughs> all right. So, so you're going through this, this whole thing where, you know, you always liked playing and all that sort of stuff. So at some point you decided I'm going to be a personal trainer. What, what was the impetus of that? Like, how did it, how did you get pushed to be like, you know what, I, I want to do X for other people. It was, it's not like, I don't think it's a glory story of like, oh, I wanted to like impact like an amazing amount of people or anything. Like I didn't have these big lofty goals for a while. Like I was just kind of working standard jobs and I was making money and I was hitting the gym often for me. Honestly, it was like my own personal triggers again when I was like in my early twenties, 
the trigger of me like being in the gym and seeing all the trainers and being like man all these people look like superheroes they have superhero confidence they're loud and outgoing and rambunctious and they're in great shape people look up to them for guidance man, i don't think i could be that person and that burned in me like that mental chatter as soon as i told myself i couldn't do it it burned in me and i like it 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 irritated me so much to the point where i'm like and then i started looking in certification and like i had to almost prove myself wrong because i was the one underestimating myself well that fits with that transformation though like it was outward focused and then all of a sudden it became inward yeah well i can't do this i can't do that so you had to prove yourself wrong that's cool yeah and it was weird i've i've mentioned this on a social media post that i posted but when I applied for the job, I like got certified and the certification didn't teach you much. Like there was pretty bare bones. And when I had the interview with the manager, he started asking me simple questions that I would think, think are simple now. Like what are the muscles of the thigh? What is, hi- what is hypertrophy? He's like, what's hypertrophy? And I'm like, what? I had no idea what even hypertrophy was. And then he was like, give me a posterior chain, like core exercise. And I'm like, well, I know what core exercises are, but like posterior chains back. So I was kind of like lower back mark like asking him like is it lower back lower back hello and he's like yeah and so anyways the manager was lauren he decided not to hire me he said that the team was full he just took over as manager so he was kind of in transition as well i got the job out of pure resilience at that time i had a lot of time on my hands and i'm like hey man can i just hang around the team and shadow and he's like yeah of course we always help people out and i shadowed probably for like i can't remember two to four weeks full-time unpaid to the point where the team fell in love with me and they started harassing him being like yo when are you gonna hire this guy so i just got in just by brute force pretty much and that story is really funny to me because i hired lauren i interviewed him at edgemont and i was like we don't have room here yeah you send you to sunridge yeah not kicked it was a positive thing we have room we need you Mm -hmm. positive Uh, but it's it's funny the trickle down that's that's cool so you hung out for a while around the gym. You're like, I can't do this. And you're like, I can. And then you get there and you run into this roadblock where he's like, yeah, no. Um, but you basically, through resilience, proved like I should be here based on who I am, not even what I know yet, but who I am and what I'm going to know, which is a cool story. I like that. Mm-hmm. So then you get hired as a trainer. Tell me what happened after that. It's... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so after I got hired... Again, because the way I felt about myself, confidence was still an all-time low. I got in by like brute force, even through the interview process, that pushed my confidence down even more so because I couldn't answer any of the questions. Nah, he hired me to the team, and I'm like, I felt like the greenest person. At that time, one of the other clubs closed down, and an influx of trainers all came to that club as well, one of the clubs downtown. Mm-hmm. So we got even more trainers who were more experienced, and I felt like the greenest guy on the team. And I'm like, oh man, my confidence was like just bare bones low. So I struggled pretty hard for the first year, maybe a year and a half. I was not doing well. And the manager Lauren took me out and he took me out for coffee and just said like man like we're really we're really struggling here like what's what's the issue and he kind of knew it was confidence with me as well and I was like man I just I'm, have a hard time seeing value in like this strength inside myself and he's like well you got it man like he's like you got the discipline you got the work ethic you're personable like there's no reason the only limiting factor is you he's like from now on you're my trainer I'm gonna let you train me and I didn't train him that often but I trained him like once a week once every two weeks but he started bragging about me to everybody in the gym. He was very friendly and outgoing guy, like very loud guy. So loud in a good way. Love you, Lauren. Um, and 
he just started telling everybody like that's my trainer over there look that's my trainer and my confidence kind of just like slowly built up like i felt like well i'm training the boss like that's that makes me feel good that yeah pumped those tires yeah that's just good. pumped the tires up a little bit and so yeah that was like the first two years i guess and then once i kind of got that internal confidence it slowly business just started slowly picking up for me i guess yeah you got to be confident in what you present to people because they can't be confident if you if you can't if you can't be confident in you yeah that's a challenging thing to say (laughs) tongue twister yeah (laughs) so okay you're you're a trainer you get a little bit of a tire pump you're noticing things are coming up um as a trainer before we step on to the next thing what was the best part of that time like as your confidence got up and you got up to the the highest level that you did as a trainer at that time what was the best part of that I think it was just the excitement of learning and growing like obviously my training I think has come a long way in the past 10 years like my first one to two years there was a lot of learning to be done but in that process with the team and the environment that was there it was like a lot of fun I had like a great set of peers that I was working with and there was a lot of experimenting and like just like learning and process in general and to kind of just learn with my peers and grow with that team like the culture that we had at the club and the team that we had was just phenomenal so i think i think just like the whole experience between like my confidence being higher me being busy it wasn't necessarily like oh i was making so much money it was more of just like success to me was my people were happy and they were winning i was busy and i was having a lot of fun the team was awesome so just like everything in that environment was just like those are like the glory days to me if you will right. there was more glory days down the road but that was definitely a section of glory days nice so it's pretty rare that you talk to somebody and you're like tell me what was good about that time and they're like i made the most money in that time so mm. <laughs> that's good i think that's probably good for people to know that people winning around you is what builds you up and that's that's good so what was the most challenging part of that phase for you? I think like in those first two years, obviously the struggle was uh, very hard. But like once I was past the struggle, I think it was just learning how to be a young adult, just not even just the job itself, but just balancing that job, balancing like where like when you're 22 years old and you're trying to establish like what's my career again, I jumped into this not thinking like, I'm going to do this forever and it's going to be a career and I'm going to buy a house and I'm going to actually be able to have a functioning life off of this job. Like when I left, I left doing telecommunications in the oil field with my dad and I was like mentoring with my dad and doing stuff with dad. And like, that's kind of where I was like, man, this is where I'm going to go, like computer IT work and stuff like that. And then when I flipped it and went to training, like family, other people, everyone was kind of like, oh, this is just a phase. We'll see how long it lasts. And then he's going to go and he's going to go and get a real job like a big boy and it just never happened (laughs) yeah we do hear the big boy job thing often we'll talk about that one day that'll be good so i think the struggle though was just like yeah just being early 20s and just not knowing like it was a hell of a lot of fun once it was like cruising i don't have a lot of bad things to say about it aside from just trying to like there i had more life stressors than job stressors at that time well the phase in your life that you were at when you're learning how to adult that's that's a stressful time for sure so yeah Okay, so we go past being a personal trainer. We, we have some wins, we have some challenges, and mainly that's adulting for you, which is cool. Then we start getting into this phase where I know that you applied to be the manager. I was there for that phase as well, so that was interesting. Um, what kind of prompted you to go into that realm, and what was your experience like seeing the industry from that side? Yeah, what prompted me to go into the management side I don't I think I just like I loved the culture and the atmosphere of that team so much 
that uh, we had some manager turnover from Lauren to the like the next guy was Sean. They weren't really enjoying the role, and I can't speak to as to why they weren't enjoying the role. I can make some assumptions, but they weren't enjoying the role. So like these guys lasted less than a year, maybe a year and a bit, and I was like, ooh, like that's not great turnover for that role. But like the way the the club felt like it was kind of in a shift, like on who's going to take over. And again, my confidence was still shaky. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. But the manager at the time was Sean. And I really liked Sean. I thought he was a good guy. And I thought he was a good boss. He had a lot of charisma. So I'm like, man, Sean's got a lot of charisma. I think with my organization and and things like that, that we can really complement each other nicely. So I jumped into that role. And I had to go up against trainers who had more certification than I did, who were more successful selling more like the trainers that I beat on that role, I think, again, I just beat them by brute force. And, like, if they listen to this podcast, it's not like, oh, like, I'm better than you. It was just, like, I think I just wanted it more flat out. And that's what made me, like, get the position. If they wanted it more, I think they could have beat me easy because they played a game. I don't think you weren't around for that because you were just purely uh, FM at Edgemont. So you weren't the regional director at this time, but they played a game. They basically said like, okay, the applicants say there was three. It was like, you get a mini team, you get a mini team, and you get a mini team. Organize your team, and basically you're a mini manager. And I just like committed way more time to doing that than the other guys did. And I think that's what made me win and get that position. When I transitioned into manager, though, it was fast. I was like assistant manager for a short time, and then all of a sudden manager position opened up, and that wasn't in my plan or the cards i felt like i was a people's coach as assistant manager i always say this to people it's kind of like like mummy daddy role like as assistant manager people felt way more comfortable coming up and talking to me and i was the people's coach and helped the people and then you can go and talk to the manager and be like this is what's going down behind the scenes just so you know because nobody wanted to tell the big boss what the problems were so yeah, I really liked assistant manager when I was doing that, and I was the people's coach, but then all of a sudden, Sean decided that he wasn't happy anymore, so the, like, the big boy position opened up, and I'm like, well, I guess I have to, Like, I guess I should try, and again, I wanted to maintain the culture of that, and I managed the team for five years, and I think I don't have any regrets, and I like the culture that I built. I loved everybody that I hired, everyone that I worked with, Like, I wouldn't hire them if I didn't like them, but like, I think the culture there and the community there was very high level and that's like probably what i was most proud of hard to retain all those people nature of the business but everyone i hired i think was a rock star wow that's that's cool when you have people that you're hiring that you believe in them and you're trying to protect a culture coming from the realm of i'm i'm the person that's kind of the go-between to make sure that everyone's taken care of that it's a, a place that's near and dear to my heart because for me i see people as the first focus so that's that's good to hear i guess to sorry to interrupt no, or just good. jump in that's good as i was going into that assistant manager role too i had a little bit more confidence because i was i was one of the few trainers there like there was a mentorship program for senior trainers to mentor like newer trainers and it wasn't being utilized that effectively and i saw it as an area of opportunity to help people and i was like oh man like i can help help these new trainers and build their confidence because mine was low and hopefully i can build theirs up and you could only mentor a maximum of eight people, but they didn't really care how you did it. So every new trainer that came in, I basically attacked them like a like it was a consultation. Like, hey, you're new to the game, blah, blah, blah. This is what I can offer you. I help that person, this person, that person. By the time I applied for the assistant manager role, I was already mentoring eight people, which was the maximum that I could. 
So when they're like, well, why should we give you assistant manager? I'm like, because I'm already doing the job. Like, it's already it's already me. It's the strongest position to come from. Owning a job before you get it is a huge strategy. Like, that, that works out really well because you can say, well, here's the facts. Instead of, well, I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, here's what I've done. This is why. Yeah. So that's awesome. So best part of that phase. Let's, let's get through that. Best part of being a manager and, and seeing the industry from that side. The best part, 100%, was just spending time with the trainers and helping them. I, Whether I was qualified to or not, I truly loved sitting down with them individually once a month for a coffee and discussing like their business, but also their personal, but also their athletic life. That's something that you taught me like to take the trainers through is like goal setting them for their business, for their personal life, and for their athletic life because they all eventually went hand in hand. And I felt like that at that time, I can't speak 100% for other clubs, but I don't, I felt like that was a better approach to actually care about the people rather than just being their business manager and just being like, how many clients are you going to get? What are you going to sell? How much money? Da, 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 da. So when you link in their personal life, you can link their business into their personal life. Well, you want this in your personal life. Your business needs to reflect X, Y, and Z in order to unlock those. And then let's talk about being a manager hopefully coming from a position of like trying to help them just like keeping them on track with their goals if they weren't with a coach or a trainer as well and just establishing the value that was 100 percent my favorite part is just spending time with the trainers and i think just mentoring them and helping them yeah mentorship is is a very rewarding piece and when you can see the whole person thriving that's always exciting even for me when i've had people leave um when i know that they're going to a better place based on what they've accomplished it, it feels really good so I can see how that would be. So what was the most challenging portion of that? I'm going to stay positive on this, but what was the most challenging part for you? Um, staying positive on the most challenging part. So some most challenging parts was like, A, I hated dealing with it when I lose a team member. I hated like losing losing a trainer, whether it's just because like they were struggling and I wasn't able to help lift them up and we reached a point where we we're just spinning our tires and like you know some trainers even though i said like everyone was rock stars and i loved everybody that doesn't mean that the business at least the business of that was working for them and i whatever i was doing wasn't enough to help them thrive either so when i would lose trainers because we just weren't able to see eye to eye or have the best same business practices kind of sucked when i would lose people and i hate having to do damage control and contact their clients and try to do all the damage control type stuff I, I really dislike that um the true business side of it though was near like the end there i felt that um things started to get very micromanagey very squeezing blood from a stone if you will and i think that's where a lot of companies are nowadays i think a lot of people are trying to maximize time and maximize the almighty dollar but i feel like there's a discrepancy amongst like quality time with people and just like flat out numbers and things like that like i would uh i would like the trainers like you know we paid them to go to these meetings like goal setting meetings and stuff like i pay you to go to the goal setting meeting but it was so much more valuable than uh like minimum wage that they were being paid you know what i mean like i feel like it was just um that time just was being neglected i guess or not valued as much yeah you know the business side of things is is always a challenge to manage with the, the personal side of things for sure um, but really for a business to see the value in the interpersonal relationships and putting in the time there is, is a very challenging thing. So I don't think that's, that's anything that's too crazy, but 
So inevitably, you got to a point where you were like, you know what, I'm best utilized as a trainer. That's where I'm happiest. That's where I want to be. And I remember talking to you uh, in this phase. And a lot of what I had to say to you was, you know, what's best for you is what's best for your people. And if you need to do this, then you should do this. And you said, yeah, you know, I'm, I think that's the place for me. So, so you did that. And going back to, I wouldn't say back, but becoming a trainer again and having that be your primary focus, how was that different the second time around? So, A, I felt like it was best for me to step down from manager with the way the business was operating. If the business was operating in a slightly different way where they, I felt like quality of relationships was more of a focus, I feel like I would have continued to be a stronger manager and a stronger helper. I felt like that was a better seat for me. That's at least what I felt. Right. Stepping down to a trainer was more of just necessity for my own mental health and well-being just because I was getting frustrated with the operations of the business. So I'm like, I need to step away from that. And for the record, every one of these decisions for me was like terrifying. It was terrifying to become a trainer, super uncomfortable, a lot of stress. That stress all pushed me forward. Assistant manager, same thing. Questioned myself, can I do this? Can I do this? Fitness manager, stress and anxiety, and then stepping down, the same stress and anxiety. Every time there was a shift or a change in my my path, super uncomfortable. And so, yeah, like stepping back into the trainer role round two, it was definitely easier because my confidence was higher. Although there was still that like little second guessing myself in the pit of my stomach, there was still just like much more confidence in general. So the ability like year one of me being a trainer, if you're like, go talk to that guy and see how he's doing. Just talk to him. I'm like, uh, I would freeze up entirely. If you did that after I stepped down, it would have been like, okay, no problem. You want me to talk to everybody here? Like I'll go and just work the floor and just say what's up to everybody. I'll even start training somebody like, Hey, what are you doing right now? Chest? Well, I've got a free 20 minutes. Let's, uh, let's play together. I'll show you some cool stuff. It was very easy to do that. So definitely different though i would have to say my fulfillment was a little bit less than because i really appreciated the management side of mentoring the trainers and being able to train my clients as well i felt like i was like having like just a large that larger impact felt better although my like my workload and stress load diminished a little bit as i became a trainer so i could kind of focus more and honestly at that time i still needed to grow and i still need to grow in regards to my education my learning process on like constantly hard on myself being like well i'm not i'm not the best guy in the world i know some stuff and i can do some stuff but i constantly feel like i need to continue my growth and development and i think that obviously stems from your your influence as well when i talk to you you're like a a human textbook (laughs) i don't know how accurate that is but i'll take it i'll put that in my pocket so it sounds to me like confidence was something that you developed in talking to people that you didn't know. What do you attribute your change in? Okay, I'm afraid to talk to that person because I remember that saying, hey, that person needs help. Look mm-hmm. at them. And you were like, oh no. But I also recall even up to recent history watching you do that yourself, witnessing something, seeing that that person could use your help and then approaching and engaging. Like, What do you think was the big change there? Because this conversation happened multiple times in different roles that you were in asking about how to get more confident and coaching through that. So I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I I guess I can just attribute it to just, I don't know, out of the, like into the fire, just being pushed outside my comfort zone. It's no different than when I started, like I have a another podcast called E2 Performance. When I started recording that, same thing, confidence was low, everything was a little shook. Just doing it, like what's, there's a quote that says like, 
courage is not like the absence of fear. It's like having fear thrown in your face and still taking that step forward. So even to this day, like right now while we record this, I'm still anxious and scared of what my future holds. But regardless of how I feel, I continue to take another step forward. Regardless of how I feel about that, I'll just push through, like just brutally just push through this stress. Like it's trudging. Yeah, I'm just trudging through, trudging through like my comfort zone or my box because I feel like life will be better having a larger, a larger comfort zone, I guess. Like if my comfort zone was a box like this, I want it to be large. I want to feel comfortable in like a larger setting of everything. I just want to feel just comfortable and confident and happy. And the only way I feel like I can do that is constantly just stepping outside that box just one step at a time. Well, that totally negates the the next question I was going to ask, which is what motivates you to keep going forward with that. So uh, you've identified where you want to be at and you see a happiness as, as opening up a, a zone of kind of comfort level. Is that that kind of accurate or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've gotten to a point where it's, okay, I'm back to being a trainer. You've been a trainer for how many years now? Since I stepped down, it's probably been two and a half. No, no, no. Total, oh, total, total. Tenure, total. Yeah. yeah, total 10 years, probably 10 years now. So in total 10 years. <laughs> total 10 year, 10 years. <laughs> okay, so so you've got a decade under your belt now, which obviously we've had changes in confidence. We've had changes in in experience, knowledge. I would say wisdom too, watching, watching you move and train people. I think that one of your main character traits is your ability to, to look at your knowledge as a in progress or in process sort of vessel. And I often say, as soon as you think you've arrived, you've done messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you've arrived, you don't have anything else to learn. And that's just not the case with the human body. So I think that's a, a big strength. So we get through all of this. You've learned all, all this stuff. You've gotten more confident. You can speak with people better. I would say that your ability to ascertain results with your clients and even with other trainers as far as mentorship has improved. So what's the next step for you? I mean, where are you going from here? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I had the answer. <laughs> more um, adulting, more adulting. Yeah, just more adulting, I guess. No, um, I wanted to slow down to a degree. So when we were, when we were like, we worked at a commercial gym, I felt like the whole push of the commercial gym was like, it was constantly like more people, more people, like do more people, more sessions, bigger groups, bigger groups. And that just wasn't vibing with me. Like I was training groups of eight people at a time, like, and I would have them variety. I would have eight people on the same program sometimes. And sometimes I would have eight people each on their own individual program. I tried to do group training multiple different ways to see what would vibe for me. And for me, I think I've just come to the point of, uh, like, I really enjoy one-on-one training. I just enjoy that. I I'm a quality person. I like quality I know you can get quality when you're training multiple people, but for me, it's just that intimate interaction one-on-one just feels good to me. So what my hope is for the future anyways is to spread some influence and some wisdom through this podcast and start reaching out and touching more people. And I don't ever really want to stop in-person training, but I don't want to be the McDonald's of in-person training either. I would like to, I would like to maybe train you know, two to four people a day, but have them be my favorite people who just are like, love it the way I do. And we vibe the way we can do that. And then continue to potentially expand business into more like remote coaching, remote online businessing and mentoring, life coaching, things like that. Just like helping new trainers out or helping new clients out virtually, things like that. Just, um, 
it would be, I think, an easier, easier use of my time. Because when you're doing in-person training, you know, that one hour, that's a, that's a relatively large chunk of time. And then you limit your ability to spread that influence if you're going to just train 10 people, 10 one-on-one sessions in a day. So I know I love one-on-one sessions, so that's why I kind of shift things to, again, podcasting, YouTube, and just trying to spread wisdom. And So you want to keep the personal in training, I'm hearing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. So along with that, we're, we're also looking, um, it sounds like you're you're wanting to push more into the realm of kind of remote and also making things a little bit more easy to access as far as things go. That's, that's accurate. Yeah. For me, remote training has been tremendous and, you know, through COVID it has been very good for me, (laughs) uh, for sure. But, um, what is it that, that you would see the ideal as far as your business goes with the remote side? We know that in person you want to have, you know, uh, an amount of sessions per day that you can deliver the quality on that. You're pretty clear on that. Yeah, um, I think I haven't even established that for like a remote business because I'm not a master remote coach either. I think remotely I would need to establish it because I would want to still keep a personal touch to it and I would want to continue doing like video chats and video consults with people and video touch bases and things like that. And I can only have so much time to do those as well, but it's still it's less time requirement than an in-person session. So I'm not entirely sure. I definitely know, again, I don't want to be the McDonald's of remote coaches either. I don't want to just be throwing out programs to people like, oh, buy this buy this base program for 20 bucks and just rip it out to as many people as possible. I still want to keep my remote business like personal and still high quality. So there's, I think there's definitely a cap to it. I can't be like, well, I'm going to just continue to take as many people as possible. At that point, I would have to start looking into alternative solutions to help people if if things take off in that that route, I guess. So quality and connection are still very important for you, it sounds. Yeah. Big surprise. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's almost like we get along on that, that topic. I think we're petting the same dog as far as that goes. <laughs> um, all right. So we've kind of covered exactly what that looks like. If we get any questions from our viewers, we can obviously get it later on. But the last question before I let you off of the hot seat, uh, is it getting hot yet? It's hot in this room. Okay. Okay. So before I let you off of there, what is your goal with this podcast? What are you trying to get across for people? What, what do you want to be? Well, you threw the podcast on me saying that it was something that you're interested in doing. I love, I love the opportunity to just sit and have real conversation, real real dialogue with somebody and just have like that isolated time. But for me, I think, you know, you've worded it in multiple ways. And when we brainstormed through this podcast, I just think there's a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation in the fitness industry. And we said that in the, the intro or the teaser trailer where there's just a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of hype, a lot of fad dieting, and there's just an abundant, there's too much information out there and there's no filter through the bs so people get caught like oh does this is are your knees supposed to pass your toes or what do you think of this fat burning supplement like i hate going to supplement companies because people are like well what do you think of this thermogenic what do you think of this fat burner what do you think of the protein shake what do you think of this like or i'm as a trainer i'm not even a super big fan of um like transformation programs because i think they the way they're marketed anyways online by fitness influencers is everybody has a transformation but then it falls apart afterwards and that's to me that's the exact opposite of what you would want to accomplish a true transformation 
I would need to define it as a different word, but a true transformation would be like you you were able to see maybe a, a, the same result, but may, like keep it afterwards, not just let it fall apart. So it should be more lifestyle focused and not like, I need to lose 20 pounds right now. It should be more of like, I want to weigh 160 for the rest of my life and just feel good forever. Yeah, well, you know, when, when we talked about the whole cutting through the hype thing, I think that building a more discerning consumer is what I'm hearing from you. We want to get people to the point where they can actually ask meaningful questions and seek answers that make sense instead of, hey, here's five exercises that are good for your back. And I'm like, says who? Yeah. You've never met my back. <laughs> you don't tell me about my back. You don't know me. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's a lot out there. And a lot of it, this industry, this is just another issue to me again, though. A lot of it's just based off of sex appeal. Like if I did a nice, great cycle of steroids and I just looked super, super jacked, but my back was blown out and injured because I was at that point when you first met me. When That's you true. first met me, I was at my most shredded and I still weighed about 170, 180, but just shredded to the teeth. But my back was blown out and people were like, wow, you look so jacked. And I used to ask people like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have your dream body and a broken back or would you rather have an average body and be pain free? A lot of people said they'd rather be broken with the beautiful body. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, they haven't lived it yet. Yeah. We both have a history with back stuff. So I can't believe you didn't mention your back at all. I still have that pair of shoes that you got me after we fixed it. <laughs> I, I don't wear them that much because I love them. It tells me a story of a win. Yeah. So, but we'll get into that in another podcast. Um, I'm going to say for everybody involved, thanks for your honesty. You know, this is something that I think it's really important if you're going to listen to what somebody has to say, understanding where they're coming from. Um, because if we're talking about building a more discerning consumer, we want to say, listen, here, here's what honesty looks like. Here's where I'm coming from. This is my perspective. I have my biases. I do. And I'm going to try to give them voice. But here, here, it's on the table. I think that honesty is something that's very huge. And I very much appreciate you, you letting me put you on the hot seat. Uh, I'm certain they do, too. Cool. Well, it was fun. You're next. <laughs> I look forward to it. Cool. Well, if you guys like that episode, make sure you subscribe. And uh, Curtis is getting grilled next week. <laughs> <laughs>